Well, would you be surprised to know that seven out of 10 people say 2020 made them a better person? So what about you? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Hey, we're going to be looking at that issue of 2020 made people a better person. We're going to look at why, some interesting things. I want to encourage you, lots of good news there. Hey, this is Dan Miller. Yeah, you're listening to the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we dive into real-life questions from you, the listeners, about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day, excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. Hey, this is where normal, indecision, ambiguity come to die. Welcome to the 48 Days Radio Show. You know, the next chapter I'm going to be covering in our 48 Days Eagles community, How to Think and Grow Rich, is on decision. The power of being able to be decisive. Wow, indecision, the greatest thief of opportunity. Going to have fun talking about that. Well, here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today here. Dan, because of my dyslexia, I struggle with comprehension, reading, focusing, and memory loss. I think this is hindering my success, my future ideas, and business opportunities. We're going to look at that. What is the effect of having dyslexia or ADD or ADHD, one of those things? Somebody says, Dan, I was laid off a couple times and have not yet been able to get back in and make the money I used to make, $100,000 to $115,000. What should I do next? Young guy says, I have a practical idea for a travel shower caddy, but I have absolutely no idea where to start in having a prototype produced. If you got an invention, hey, stick around. I'll give you some tips on that. I've been a stay-at-home mom for over 18 years and would like to go back to work on a part-time basis. I'm not planning on returning to my previous career financial analyst, and I feel like a college freshman having to declare a major. How do I get started? And then somebody says, I'm a teacher with a job I cannot be fired from, a 10% pay raise each year and benefits I do not pay for. So what's wrong? I hate my job. Well, there you go. Hey, those are the ones we're going to jump into. Got a whole ton of them this week. We'll see how many we can unpack a little bit as we go through this. Quotation comes from Paulo Coelho, who wrote the book, The Alchemist, among other things. He says, there's only one thing that makes a dream impossible to achieve, the fear of failure. So that's it, our resource for today. I'm going to recommend Kent Sanders' 52 Ways to Unlock Your Creativity. Just a free resource. Just go there and download it. If you go to 48days.com slash Sanders, just S-A-N-D-E-R-S, you'll get that 52 ways to unlock your creativity. Thank you to Ken Sanders for sharing that with our community. Just one of our listeners, one of our Eagle, Active Eagle members, he's doing a Eagle's Nest on how to write a book right now for a bunch of people but just one of the many people contributing in our community, sharing ideas and resources generously, as so many people do. Well, I like to start off each week with some good news, as you know, so we got lots of that. And the, the first one is the one I kind of alluded to at the beginning here. More Americans now consider themselves to be thriving 
than at any point in the last 13 years. This may seem kind of counterintuitive, but despite what we're hearing about COVID and droughts and fires and heat waves and inflation, questioning our currency models, anyway, with all those things going, three in five Americans say they're pretty happy with their lot. This is just um, was in, just in June, just last month, Gallup poll survey that they did. Percentage of Americans who evaluated their lives to be thriving reached 59.2% in June, the highest in over 13 years. So again, without going through, you, despite everything that's going on, in terms of thriving, they classify Americans as thriving according to how they rate their current and future lives. Uh, the percentage of Americans, let's see, how do they define thriving here? Um, the percentage of Americans estimated to be suffering has remained steadily low. Now, you would think that people who are suffering, that would really increase. No, it's the same percentage as they classified 3.4% of respondents said they were suffering. And that's the same amount as before COVID ever hit. Now, here's the deal. More than being a result of the vaccination rollout or improving economic conditions, the authors of the study theorized that the happiness boom is a result of the critical psychological benefit of renewed social interaction. The fact that we can get out again and connect with people, you know, hang out with people, you know, go to a restaurant, go to church, go to concerts, go to conventions, go to plays. I mean, those are the kind of things. That's really why people feel like they're thriving right now. Now, this is another, here's another piece of this. And what I started out with, seven in 10 Americans agree that 2020 made them a better person. So that's another, we're thriving. We feel like we're better people. And I got one more thing I want to share with you as well. But how does this make people better? Why do seven in 10 Americans agree that 2020 made them a better person? According to a new survey, again, just done in, in June, 74% of Americans say 2020 has made them more aware of the needs of others and more selfless than ever before. They're embracing the idea of neighborly love. Some examples include 87% of Americans have donated a portion of their paycheck, even though three in five experience financial difficulties. 41% have helped a stranger across the street. 38% have gone out of their way to take out their neighbor's trash. 31% have walked their neighbor's dog. One third who live in snowy climates have shoveled out a neighbor's car in the past year. In general, 72% said they found themselves caring about the health and well-being of others significantly more in the last year. That's pretty interesting. You know, that seems to always be the case when there are things that are going on that are tough, that are challenges. We band together. We take care, and not just looking out for number one, you know, looking out for ourselves. No, we tend to look out after other people. Now, it's unfortunate in some ways that we have to wait for a calamity for that to be the case, but it does trigger that. So we're feeling pretty good about things in general. Uh, consider ourselves to be thriving. More people than ever consider themselves to be thriving. Seven out of 10 think that last year made them a better person. And here's another one more that I kind of grabbed as well. With time to pursue, six in 10 have leveled up in doing hobbies and 40% think they'll make money from it. So with people being locked down 
in isolation, a whole lot of people kind of leveled up in terms of hobbies that they took up. Survey of 2,000 adults found that 60% improved their skills in one or more of their hobbies since the start of COVID last March. 56% expect to be an expert in what they took up by the time life returns to normal. So there's a lot of you know hobbies, uh, things like yoga, preparing food, making art, sketching, drawing, I mean, those kind of things, playing musical instruments. Those are things that people have taken up during this period of time. One guy says he built a new dresser from scratch for his daughter. She wanted a large dresser with some designs carved into the wood to personalize it. I feel felt it was an accomplishment because she gave me high approval, said it's exactly what she wanted. Some people have been given prizes for things that they developed as hobbies during this kind of lockdown. And 40% think it's very or extremely likely that they'll be able to make money from their hobby once this whole quarantine thing is over. So there you go. Just some, some good news. We're feeling pretty good about the way things are. We're thriving. We feel like last year, the hardships made us a better person. And a whole lot of us have taken up hobbies that we're developing in meaningful ways that may even be profitable ways. Okay, now I'm going to go into questions, but I, I love sharing those good news things. You know, if you watch the news, if you have your TV on too much, you're just convinced that things are really terrible. It's just amazing how they exaggerate the challenges that we have and bring those up as it's something that everybody's experiencing. When no, it's probably not, but in general, we're doing pretty well. All right. Mikkel says, I've heard you talk about your son's dyslexia and his ADD and his struggle, but it seems there are not a lot of resources for adults. I'm a 38-year-old male with a small service company. I've seen, I seem to get myself, oh, I, I've been able to get myself out of the rat race of trading my time for money, but it seems I can't get any further than that. Because of my dyslexia and ADD, I struggle with comprehension reading, focusing, and memory loss. I think this is hindering my success, future ideas, and business opportunities. I have tons of ideas and ambition, but because of these issues, I struggle at record-keeping, remembering business processes, and focus on consistency in marketing and client building. I feel like I'm stuck at a mediocre, a mediocre level because of my learning disability. So I'm wondering if there are any mentors who deal with problems like me. Also, are there any resources you can suggest to help me? Please share. Thank you. Well, thanks for your question, Mikhail. I, th I think you probably hit on something that a lot of people identify with, this issue of dyslexic, ADD. It's become certainly more common. I won't even go into the statistics, but it's exploded in terms of being a diagnosis, air quotes, that uh, some that people are getting, kids in school and all that. Now, I'm going to give you a resource. I'm going to give you the best resource that I know of for this. So without going into... The, the physiological challenges, psychological challenges, and all that. I want to give, just give you some ideas to think about when it comes to this. There's a, a, a country song, popular country song from a few years back by Lone Star titled Unusually Unusual that I really love. And certainly in thinking about my own son, Jared, you know, I think about him, how he fits in this category. I mean, his clothes, his music, his habits have never been usual, you know, but what he adds to our family interactions is are pretty priceless. But a lot of you describe that there are characters that make you unusually unusual. Whether it's your interest in food, art, music, hobbies, work, confirm that you're never going to be normal. But then again, you know, greatness is never normal. 
So here's from the song. Here's what the song says. She's unusually unusual, absolutely unpredictable. She's so different, and that's what's wonderful. She's unusually unusual, and that's beautiful to me. Now, at Christmas time, Joanne and I have a tradition of watching the old, the, the, one of the one of the older little women movies, the one with Joe Ryder in it, Susan Sarandon. So Joe Ryder is the main character. She's a creative, energetic young woman who's finding it difficult to do the normal things in her little town and culture. Now, fortunately, she has a pretty insightful and understanding mother, played in this one by Susan Sarandon. That's that's our favorite uh, version. I know there are multiple versions of Little Women. Anyway, so after having just rejected a marriage proposal from her longtime boyfriend, Joe verbalizes her exasperation with herself. And she says, there's something wrong with me. I'll never fit in anywhere. I usually stop the movie right there because I just love that line. There's something wrong with me. I'll never fit in anywhere. To which her mother gently replies, you have so many extraordinary gifts. How could you expect to lead an ordinary life? Now, I love those words of wisdom. I mean, what a blessing to have somebody around, a mother with that kind of insight, a mother who validates her daughter's uniqueness rather than squashing it. So my question is, you know, do you have something who's in, somebody around who's encouraging your unique gift? Someone who knows you'll never live an ordinary life? Or you're still hearing that pressure to do what's practical and realistic? Now, I've embraced my own journey in this arena. But in, in this, in the movie, I'll just, I don't want to give get off on too many rabbit trails here. In that movie... Joe's mother continued with, go embrace your liberty and see what wonderful things come of it. So maybe your destiny is not to accept an ordinary life with ordinary success, income, and sense of fulfillment. Perhaps your path is to explore, create, embrace, and follow the road less traveled, so to speak. Now, we just, just recently, you know, we saw Richard Branson go up into space. Now, people are pretty familiar with Richard Branson. He has multiple businesses. He's very open about the fact that he has... ADD and dyslexia. dyslexia. He, he's always been very open about sharing about that. Um, he, well, here, here's what he, here's what advice he says he would give to his teenage self. This is what he wrote to himself. Dear Ricky, I know you're struggling at school and I wanted to give you some advice on how to become the best you can be. You should never see being different as a flaw or think that something is wrong with you. Being different is your biggest asset, and it'll help you succeed. I know you have problems with reading, writing, and spelling, and sometimes find it tricky to keep up in class. This does not mean you're lazy or dumb. You just think in a more creative way. Use your alternative ways of thinking to be creative and think bigger. Now, he's also said, you know, Branson has said that he doesn't see dyslexia as being a disability. He sees it as an exceptional exception. I got this is a made up word. He sees it as an exceptionability. That's it. Exceptionability. I love that word. Get hard to say. So he's using really a, a brain hack. And Mikhail, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. He's using a brain hack that we call really reappraisal. It's kind of repositioning. So instead of saying things like, you know, I'm not good enough, I can't do this, I struggle with this, say, ooh, I'm strong enough, you know, I'm really good at this. Focus on your best qualities, embrace those traits that give you an edge. Um, Jared, 
my son has has grown up for those days when he was first diagnosed with dyslexic and um, ADD, ADHD, bipolar. He got pretty much the whole whole shebang of terms that schools provide when a child doesn't fit in well. But he's now um, he, he's now working with uh, Space for Humanity. He's actually working with six different space organizations. He's on the board of three of those and on retainer from the other three and doing extremely well. But just recently, you know, they've been very involved in these people going into space, Richard Branson and now, of course, Jeff Bezos. But with Richard Branson, there's now a plan where you can win two seats on one of the first Virgin Galactic flights that are going to go up into space that are open to passengers. You can win two seats on there. There's a contest that you can just, just Google. You can find it easily. And the proceeds of people entering that contest. Now you can, you can buy chances to win. I just, I I bought a thousand chances to win on there for myself. I mean, I'd love to win a seat on one of those first flights going up into space. So I I purchased a hundred shares to get me a hundred chances to win. You can do the same. Just check it out. You can go there. But the money that's being raised is going to Space for Humanity, um, the organization that Joanna, or Jared is primarily uh, connected with at this point. They're the ones that are trying to train the leaders of tomorrow and uh, contribute to a culture of interconnectedness You know, by sending citizens to space, events, having launch parties, they're cultivating this a network of leaders better equipped to create a better future for all of us. I mean, that's what space exploration is all about. The little organization that Jared is part of last year had a total budget of $120,000. This year so far, here we are in July, they've brought in over $3 million dollars. The notoriety of what they're doing is spreading dramatically, and Jared is leading the charge there. He writes every word that comes out of them in terms of their promotion. Again, he's uh, he's gotten he's gotten past his dyslexia and ADHD, and I would encourage you, Mikhail, to do to do the same. Now, the book that I want to recommend to you is called "Driven to Distraction," written by Dr. Ed Hollowell. Driven to Distraction. That is the best one that I know about how to deal with what you're describing. Rather than seeing this as a psychiatric disorder or something that limits you, and they want to see you as something that gives you a unique advantage. Here's what here's one of the things that he said. I pulled it off the shelf here, driven to distraction. It's one of the ones that really helped us deal with Jared. But he says in there, the author of Driven to Distraction says, people with ADHD, dyslexia, ADD, have a Ferrari for a brain, but they have bicycle brakes. I love that kind of image. They have a Ferrari for a brain, but they have bicycle brakes. Strengthen the brakes and you have incredible power. People with ADHD are creative and imaginative. They're the people who colonize this country. They are visionaries, pioneers, dreamers, and risk takers. It's an edge. So, Mikhail, I would just encourage you to see this as having an edge rather than seeing it as something that's going to limit you. Well, (laughs) all right. I'm going to just... switch my brain off that topic here so we can go into some other topics but just remind you these are questions from you the listeners i love getting those in each week 
We've got a ton of them this week. Just shoot your questions in to askdan at 48days.com. And as you know, I'm going to pull out a few of them where we can unpack them together here. So shoot those in. If you got a challenging question like this one from Mikhail, or if you've got a success story you want to share or a resource that you think would be useful to other people, we appreciate those as well. Again, just send them in to askdan at 48days.com. Now, Lisa says, I've listened to your podcast for years. I've enjoyed your books. Um, 60 years young, worked in the oil and gas industry 17 years, thought I'd be retiring in two years to pursue my retirement career as a yoga therapist. However, as you might know, oil and gas industry has struggled in the last five years. I was laid off a couple of times, have not yet been able to get back to make the money I used to make in the $100,000 range. Furthermore, I incurred post-concussion syndrome that lasted a year in which I could only work a minimal amount teaching a few chair yoga classes. I've mostly recovered from that, but here I am 60 years young trying to decide how I'm going to make a living for the next decade. I say decade because I had to use most of my retirement savings to get me through the last five years of not being able to work or only making a third of what I used to make. I've seen different, several different options. I've been chasing the past year while unemployed due to the pandemic. And she lists some of those applied for executive assistant jobs, not getting that, applied for several physical therapy tech jobs, or she's told that she uh, doesn't have any clinical experience, just renewed her real estate license, but that's up and down, could pursue teaching corporate yoga on site. Those gigs are hard to get. First passion is to be a yoga therapist, second to be in real estate, and then she says, if I were younger, I'd probably get my master's degree as a licensed practical counselor in corporate yoga therapy, so on. Okay, now I'm going I'm to cut to the chase here in this. Lisa, you're 60 years old, and you've got a background, you know, reasonable background on oil and gas, but you don't want to do that. Your passion really is in yoga. You know my encouragement is going to be, go for it. Be creative in that space. Don't look at the normal things. Don't apply for regular jobs where you're getting the disappointment of not being. The things you're interested in are more creative and are not likely to fit neatly in a J-O-B where you get paid for that. Now, if you need to you know, work at Home Depot so you get a regular paycheck and do these things on the side, I mean, that's okay. No shame in doing that. But I think you can move right into this. I went to your website, checked it out. Golly, you've got some great videos there. Certainly ex- show your expertise in yoga. That's a hot topic right now. I think you ought to be able to move right into that, whether it's doing group classes through a couple local health and fitness centers or through the Chamber of Commerce or through churches. You know, look for other organizations where they have the space and the audience so they can immediately promote it and get you, you get you, you know, go and get you established. You just have to have the credibility with the people in those positions of influence. And I think you need to do that. I, it, I thought of a little story when I was just uh, thinking about my response to you. And this, this is a story. I'll just tell it real quickly. The Sultan of Persia had sentenced two men to death. One of them, knowing how much the sultan loved his stallion, offered to teach the horse to fly within a year in return for his life. The sultan, fancying himself, you know, as a rider of the only flying horse in the world, agreed. Now, the other prisoner looked at his friend and disbelief. He said, you know horses don't fly. I mean, what made you come up with a crazy idea like that? You're only postponing the inevitable. Not so, said the first prisoner. I've actually given myself four chances for freedom. 
First, the sultan might die during the year. Second, I might die. Third, the horse might die. And fourth, I might actually teach the horse to fly. Now, I like that guy's thinking. Rather than giving in to victim mentality, with just one creative suggestion, he creates four possible outcomes other than just being put to death. So, my question, Lisa, is what impossible situation are you faced with today? You've kind of described that. You lost your job. You know, you're not getting response to your job applications, all those things that you list. So what could you do? If you, I mean, you, you can list four options. I mean, realizing that you've been underemployed or undercompensated, I mean, do a great job search and get in a bet, better position than you've ever had. Certainly a possibility. Uh, number two, you could use this time to just uh, go on a much-deserved vacation that you've put off. So you really just think and get clarity in that way. You could go back to school to finish that long-awaited degree. I mean, there's a lot of people who go back to, to school at 60 years old. I mean, I just took two college courses. Now, I'm not looking for another degree, but I took two college courses just because I wanted the information from those. You could do that. And number four, finally, you could... Now, because the circumstances finally have the opportunity to start your yoga business that you want to start, I love the fact that you've got those possibilities sitting there right in front of you. All right, well, let's go on. Somebody says, uh, Dan, I have a practical, this is Tom, I have a practical idea for a travel shower caddy, especially useful for the camper, but I have absolutely no idea where to start and having a prototype produced. Can you give me some advice? Yes, I can. Uh, well, well, let me let me, let me give you the uh, the advice, and then I'll kind of uh, talk about this a little bit. You've got an idea for a new product like this. the the I, The resource I'm going to give you is Stephen Key's book, One Simple Idea. So just get it. You know, it cost you fifteen bucks or whatever. Stephen Key, it's the best resource I can recommend. One Simple Idea. Turn your dreams into a licensing gold mine while letting others do the work. Now, he's got another newer book as well, but I would recommend one simple idea. His newer book is Sell Your Ideas With or Without a Patent. So that comes back to your idea. You've got this idea for a travel shower caddy. There are places, and he'll tell you in there, places you can get a prototype produced. You can really do that. I mean, with 3D printing these days, it's really easy to get that done. There are tons of companies that can do that for you. However, let me back out a little bit to larger look at what you're really asking here. The hula hoop. You know, I sometimes use that as an example just because it's popular. I talk about the Frisbee, the hula hoop as being kind of well-known, unique inventions that came along. The hula hoop now is, goodness, about 70 years old, been around a long time. And actually, the, the funny thing about that, well, this is kind of a good example because the hula hoop, as we know it, was not a new invention. There were hoops that were used as toys, I mean, back three, 4,000 years ago in Egypt. I mean, Native Americans used hoops as a target for teaching accuracy and hunting and for playing games and all that. So then it was in about, I think it was in the mid-50s, where a couple guys um, went together and they made this lightweight plastic version that became so popular. They sold over 100 million hula hoops from January to October of 1958 at $1.98 each. 
100 million from January to October. They weren't able to patent the hula hoop. The design was certainly very similar. All it was was just a, you know, like a hose, a plastic hose that was looped and put together. That was, that was pretty much it. But that highlights a really important point. I see people get stuck in the developing the idea process or in the patenting process, wasting time and money on what may be a very insignificant part of their success. I mean, keep in mind, most people put way too much emphasis on developing their product or idea or protecting it and not enough on marketing. So if you have a new invention, and this I want to give this just kind of general information for you there. If you have a new invention, 2% of your challenge is protecting your idea. 2%. 8% of your challenge is identifying, is it a valid idea or product? Are people going to respond to your hula hoop or your pet rock or whatever it is that you have? Is it a valid idea? So we've got there 2% protecting your idea, 8% is it a valid idea or product and developing it, that all goes in there. 90%, what's your marketing plan? I mean, most people spend way too much time on developing the product or idea and on protecting it rather than selling and marketing it. Those guys with the hula hoop, they didn't. It wasn't a new protectable idea at all. There was no patent involved. They just made them and sold $100 million. That's what I like to see done. And if you've got an idea for a travel shower caddy, Tom, go ahead and get a prototype. But instead of trying to protect that, go to Camping World. You know, go to places that have camper accessories like that. See if they're interested in it. Get orders for a thousand of those things. You know, then you've got something that you can really work with. And then, frankly, it's not likely that a patent would really be of any use to you. It would be a design patent, not a utility patent. A design patent at best People can make a small modification, just go ahead. People in China, Taiwan can do exactly what you're doing, and there's no real way to protect it. So just get a prototype, yeah, and uh, get get Stephen Key's book, One Simple Idea. It'll tell you companies where you can go get a prototype, get that done, go out and get some orders, and have some fun. Great question. All right, Brenda says, what are the best ideas veteran teachers have come up with for getting out of the classroom and still making a living? I'm an excellent teacher with an ongoing resume building experience in education, but I'm tired of the system teachers have to put up with. Wow, we could spend a whole ish, a whole segment, a whole podcast dealing with just that, just teacher ideas. Uh, one of my favorites, of course, is our friend Jim Hodges. I just got an email from him this morning. His emails come to me in the same email box as questions for the podcast. For some reason, he got that email address and they sent him, so he's promoting new products. But he's the one who after coming out of the military and assuming he was going to have to go back into the classroom just to make a living as a teacher, um, his wife asked him that fateful question, you know, if money were no object, what would you do? And he'd said, I'd sit around the house all day and read old history books. Well, in essence, that's what he does. I've simplified it, uh, obviously, but, um, 
He does. He reads old history books and in doing so creates audio books, audio programs that homeschoolers, other kids use and has done, put himself in a six figure income has been doing that for many years now, continues to add to that. And I see the new products. He has new kids books that comes through all the time where he does the reading. He just brings the stories to life in an audio format. He doesn't write the books. He uses primarily books that are in the public domain. So there's no Copyright issues on those, but that's what he does. Now, that's just one idea. There's certainly a lot of veteran teachers who have gone into teaching workshops and seminars in corporations. That's a really popular positioning for them. A lot of them have created courses based on areas of expertise that they have. Some of them are doing tutoring. A lot of them have moved into kind of mentoring or teaching small classes of homeschoolers where they just come together maybe once a week for a particular subject area where the moms don't feel competent in that area. So there, there's a lot of things. And if you do a little bit, well, I, I could come up. I, at one point we had a list of things that teachers could do. I need to go back and kind of research, see if I can revive that and add to it. But certainly there are options. And like you, there's a whole lot of teachers who are saying, this is not what I want to do. All right, give me some options. All right, a couple more here and we'll wrap up. Dan, I've been a stay-at-home mom for over 18 years. I'd like to go back to work on a part-time basis. I'm not planning on returning to my previous career, financial analyst, and I feel like a college freshman having to declare a major. How do we get started? Great question. Again, a, a very common positioning for a lot of our listeners. Stay-at-home mom for 18 years. The kids are gone and are off to college. What are you going to do? Go back to work. The thing is, you're not starting with a blank slate. It's not like you have a resume with nothing on it because you, you haven't been doing anything. You have been doing. I mean, look at those 18 years where you've been working from home. I mean, where you've been a stay-at-home mom. What have you done during that period of time? You may have coordinated a fundraiser for your parent-teacher organization. You may have been in charge of the carpool to get every all the kids there at a particular time. You may have overseen a trip that they went on to Costa Rica. And you look at the things that you've done, and not just with school, but other things as well. There may be things through your church or community or the homeowners association. What are the things that you've done during that period of time that are very legitimate things to position you as having marketable skills when you go out here into the workplace. Those are legitimate things. You don't have to have been in a paying job for you to promote something you do well as a skill that you bring to the table when you go and look for something else. Now, that being, st that being said, you haven't given a lot of detail here on what kind of work you think this is going to be. So the first place to get started is not just to go see where you can get a job or where you can start making money. The first thing to do is to look inward. 85% of the process of having the confidence of proper direction in your career or business comes from looking inward. So do that basic kind of assessment that I go through in 48 Days to the Working Lab. What are your unique skills and abilities? What are your personality traits? How do you get along with others? What kind of environments are you most comfortable in? How do you manage, persuade, sell? Those are real important to know. So we got skills and abilities, personality traits, and then what I call values, dreams, and passions. What do you find yourself really interested in? I mean, what is it that you just find yourself coming back to? that you really enjoy. Use those things to create a clear focus for, okay, what is it that you would like to move into? You be in the driver's seat, 
Don't get locked into just going to get a job because somebody's hiring. Everybody's hiring right now. We had dinner last night with a couple of friends, and they were talking about the fact you can walk in anywhere. I mean, if you're breathing, you can walk in anywhere and get a job. Their, their question is, you know, can you start today? That's usually the most qualifying question. Now, it's unfortunate for both people on both sides of that equation, but don't go out and just because you can get a job and take it. No, use this time to look at yourself. And when I say use this time, I mean, I'm talking about two days where you really look inward, decide what it is that you want to do so you have a clear focus, and then present yourself as a candidate in that arena. If you're a generalist, you'll just do anything, you're going to be at the bottom of the barrel economically. You know, you can go out and get a $15 an hour job. I mean, this afternoon, you can get 10 offers of jobs like that. But don't do that. Position yourself as being an expert, being equipped to bring unique skill in a particular area, and you'll raise that bottom level dramatically. Okay, and then we're going to end with this one. I'm a teacher with a job I cannot be fired from. A 10% pay raise each year, benefits I do not pay for. So what's wrong? I hate my job. I have experience with the food industry and a master's in marketing, but seven years since I was in the marketing world, employers want to know why I want to switch now. Also, I'm in my mid-50s. Well, this kind of ties in with some previous questions here. You need to leave. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, I don't care if you're tenured, if you're in a job you can't be fired from and get a 10% pay raise, you need to leave. That doesn't mean you need to leave today. I mean, here we are, kind of mid-year, if you're committed or have a contract for the year. I mean, go ahead and finish the school year out. That's not that long, but use that period of time remaining to do that inward look, do the introspection so you can define what it is that you really want to do. If it is to go to another job, employers want to know why you want to switch. Golly, employers these days are glad you do want to switch. I mean, they are. that's not going to be a roadblock at all. I mean, if they're using that, it's because they don't want you on their team. So be looking at that. Why don't they want you on their team? But if people are bringing that up, it's not a legitimate reason for not bringing you on board. So be clear on what it is you want to do. Put your resume together if you want to go that traditional route. But also keep in mind, I mean, you certainly hear me talk about it a lot. I mean, keep in mind that, um, there's a whole lot of opportunities out there these days that don't look like a traditional job. There's so many ways that are pretty simple, don't require a lot of cash or anything, where you can simply go out there, get in the game, and be compensated for what you produce. I mean, we've seen this dramatic shift this last year and a half where people are working from home, where all of a sudden time is not the issue. It's simply what is it that you produce? Companies are saying, wow. You don't have to check in or check out. That really isn't an issue. As long as you get the work done, we'll pay you. Well, that really opens the door to not having a job, but simply recognizing you can do something that people value and they pay for it. So it's a it's a short path to doing something that is more creative, more innovative, and certainly more non-traditional. Well, hey, we're going to wrap things up here. Wow. 
Um, great questions. Again, keep those coming in. Shoot those in to askdan at 48days.com. Again, our resource for today is 52 ways to unlock your creativity. If you just go to 48days.com slash Sanders, you'll find Kent Sanders' contribution there and that list of 52 ways to unlock your creativity. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions. Thanks for being open to growing and for being a powerful force for making this world a better place in your unique way, with your unique skills, with your unusual talents that you all have. I mean, there are very few of us that uh, pride ourselves in being normal or average. You know, it's the uniqueness that makes us able to have a meaningful contribution. Well, and thanks for believing that without a shadow of a doubt, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.